The human resources function is under greater pressure than ever before. There's a war on for talent, expectations are rising in the workforce, regulation is increasing, and running international operations across cultures and contexts is becoming more and more complex. Global companies in particular are faced with different systems and approaches to human resource and talent management across their markets. They need to adopt new operating models, team structures, leadership, mindsets, behaviors, and ways of working to take advantage of digital transformation and then reap those long-term rewards. The pandemic has only underscored these challenges. It's shaken up the world of work in ways we could never have foreseen. I'm Anisha Tank. I'm an investor, broadcaster, and coach. A warm welcome to this Accenture Enterprise Transformation Podcast. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to leaders from Accenture and their partners about how technology-enabled transformations in customer experience, human resources, and supply chains are in turn changing the roles and functions of senior leaders and the C-suite. So for today's episode, we dive deep into human resources, and I'm delighted to be joined by Gaston Garion, who is Managing Director and APAC Talent and Organization Lead at Accenture, and Michelle Duplessis, Vice President of Global Human Resources Operations at BHP, one of the world's largest natural resources companies. A warm welcome to you both. Gaston, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much, Manisha, for having us today. Oh, delighted. And I can't wait to tap into all of your knowledge and wisdom in just a moment. Michelle, lovely, lovely to have you as part of this conversation. How are you doing? Thank you very much and uh, lovely to be here. Thank you for, for having me. Great stuff. Well, Gaston, I'm going to throw you in at the deep end to begin with. Let's talk about a huge topic in HR at the moment, the great resignation. How real is this trend, first of all? Look, I, I guess if we looked at what's happening in the market, we cannot deny that turnover rates have increased. Also, it has been extremely difficult to actually attract talent. So there might be something around the great resignation. I think talking to CHROs and other HR leaders, probably there is a tweak to that concept and people is talking about the great disconnect, Manisha. So what the great disconnect means is that people is rethinking where they want to work, what work they want to do, and what kind of organizations they want to work with. If we go deeper in our latest research that we have done on the Care to Do Better, which we released about 12 months ago, we understood that uh, people actually need to think about six dimensions when they come to work. And I'm not going to go deeper into the six dimensions, Manisha, but essentially the concept is that for people to stay in organizations and be attracted to stay in those organizations needs to be a net better off needs to be good for the employer, needs to be good for the employee. Yeah, I think what we're basically saying is we've learned a lot, haven't we, as a result of the pandemic, and we've had to change everything. We've had to change our approach. I suppose that's quite daunting, isn't it, for an HR leader and must be putting people under quite a bit of pressure, Gaston, right? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the HR function has learned, but the reality is that the business leaders have also learned quite a lot that their businesses relies on people and they cannot just run it without having them 
aligned to where they want to be and how they want to work. So I think it has been quite interesting to see the business leaders starting to look at the HR, not just as a supporting function, but also to be an enabling function for the strategy that they are trying to achieve. Okay, well, I have to admit, I am fascinated by these six layers. I know we're not going to get into it now, but uh, perhaps that's a subject of another podcast. Uh, Michelle, let's bounce over to you. I wonder whether anything Gaston was saying there resonates with you. What are some of the pressures that you're under at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you, Manisha. And certainly um, Gaston's words ring true. I think um, you spoke very eloquently about the changes and the increasingly complex external environment. And I think that certainly rings true for me. There's a change in expectation of HR. I think the intensity and pace has definitely escalated. And whilst we're navigating an increasingly complex external environment, I think there's an opportunity space that's being created for HR to step into that strategic challenge um, that Gaston was speaking about. I would certainly say attracting and retaining the talent, um, you know, is top of our agenda. It's becoming an increasingly competitive and dynamic, maybe even constrained talent market across the globe. And we're certainly seeing pressure with respect to critical skills across the globe. And that also brings with it pressure on our candidate and employee experience and and needing to make sure that we're at the top of our game and our ability to attract and retain the right talent is better than it's ever been before. I think there's also a real culture imperative and continuing to advance our culture specifically around diversity and inclusion, which we know drives a better enterprise performance, but it also is a very important part of our attraction and retention strategy and certainly a source of competitive advantage. So lots of challenges for HR at the moment, but also lots of possibilities and opportunities. Yeah, I like that you have a positive twist on this because it could be overwhelming, but you know, you work your way through it. It was interesting because Gaston said the great disconnect rather than the great resignation necessarily. Do you resonate with that, the idea of this disconnect? I think that's right. You know, I mean, our turnover is is certainly under pressure, but it's not, you know, we're not seeing, uh, you know, an absolute inability to attract and retain the talent. We're seeing some signs of pressure. Um, and I think it's good to get on the front foot of that and be proactive. And, you know, um, I spoke about the, the cultural imperative, and, and that's really what the disconnect is about, is you've got to have people want to come and work for you and they've got to want to stay um, and work for you. And that's really fundamentally um, about leadership unlock. And, and so that's, that's the opportunity ahead of us. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you shortly about the fact that BHP is this huge organization. And so culture is a big thing for you, isn't it? But we'll get to that in just a moment. Gaston, I want to ask you about the tech component to HR. And I can feel people listening right now who might groan as they think about all of the poorly functioning, disintegrated technology of the past, I hope, uh, that has certainly held employees back. It can hold companies back. But now if you've got a well-designed tech system that can really support the workforce, I mean, that's a game changer, isn't it? What does it look like in terms of how we get to a space where that is actually happening and that's a fluid process? And, and you know, in so many industries right now, you hear, you hear labels such as, you know, blockchain technology or cloud technology, AI. There's no reason why you can't see this kind of advancement, this kind of intelligence rolled out in this space. I did want to ask you though, what is the ideal tech stack right now 
for HR, Gaston? Yeah, sure. Um, look, the HR technology stacks have evolved over the last three to four years, um, and cloud is now the norm. And just to give you a sense, there are more than 200 technologies in the ecosystem of the HR functions. Another key trend is that decisions are now driven with an employee experience approach rather than a processes view, and organizations are designing and delivering end-to-end employee experience rather than in silos. So that requires, of course, uh, more collaboration with different parts of the business and integrations across the HR function. The key for decision-making is about defining clearly the EX or employee experience and HR strategy and where we win. So developing that uh, strategy and the blueprint, put in place strong foundations and then go against the value enables to win the talent marketplace. Thanks for that, because you've set up this very nicely for then looking at what's what are the practical implications of that. Let's explore that with you, Michelle, because, you know, Gaston has just underlined some of the big forces that are shaping that digital transformation and some of the solutions. But on the ground, how does it actually play out? I mean, BHP is vast as an organization, 80,000 employees and contractors. They're working all over the world. And as I understand it, about five years ago, you did start this program to bring together some of all of these, what was it, 90 disparate HR systems into a single platform? That sounds very ambitious. Perhaps you want to tell us a little bit about it, some of the pain points. What have you learned? Yeah, absolutely, Manisha. It was about five years ago that we actually embarked on a multifaceted transformation program for HR. So we weren't working on technology transformation alone, but in parallel, really looking at um, how we were operating, we made a number of changes to how we work, including um, maximizing our shared services footprint, changing our business partner models and implementing self-service, which did bring together Uh, about 90 disparate HR systems around the globe into a single self-service platform. We were certainly early adopters at that time of the shared services model in BHP, and we were first movers, um, you know, to the software as a service within BHP as well. Um, I think from a technology and process perspective, we certainly had many pain points to address, particularly, you know, very manual, non-standard processes, clunky customer experiences, outdated on-premise technology stack, high cost to serve, which was driven by the imbalance of work across the various HR functions and HRBPs really doing low-value work. Um, And obviously, we had a lack of automation um, as well. So, um, we did embark on a multifaceted transformation program, working on our broader people strategy, looking at employee experience um, and implementing success factors, which was our chosen software as a service solution. I'd probably say we have an enviable technology stack today. Some people would probably say that, but we also have many opportunities to enhance and optimize that. We've learned a lot of interesting lessons along the way and, uh, you know, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. I look back and I really think we're in a position now where we are delivering Q1 effectiveness and efficiency in HR. We've got an encouraging set of uh, engagement and culture results, despite the level of change that's been driven across the function in the last five years. But we have more to do. 
And, you know, that's the nature of the evolution we spoke about earlier, where, you know, it's just continual transformation to keep moving, to keep getting better and to keep advancing. And that's really what is still ahead of us today. But did you at any stage get any resistance Michelle, because I, for a lot of people, I'm sure sometimes when you try and push through major change, they find it difficult. Manisha, resistance is probably a polite way of putting it. I think that there's, we certainly had uh, some pushback from the line. Um, you know, I think we, we were probably in hindsight naive around what self-service really means and didn't do enough to prepare our line leaders for the transition or the change that was about to hit them. Um, And, you know, software as a service at the time we implemented it and the products mature at an incredibly fast rate. But when we implemented some of the modules, I wouldn't describe them as an Amazon purchasing experience or as intuitive as a banking app. And so we did have pushback from the line. And we've certainly had to pivot and calibrate along the way and recalibrate along the way to ensure that we took our customers on the journey. But we did very early in our journey realize um, that we had to have human-centered and customer-centered design. And so we had to pivot on a few things along the way. And that would, I would say that that's probably the number one lesson is, you know, just starting with really that building engagement with leadership and key stakeholders and taking everyone along that functional change journey with you. In hindsight, we could have done a better job of that. Yeah, I get it. And I, and I, I really appreciate this, this element that you mentioned about being human centered with that Gaston, let me take it to you because I'm sure this has actually been quite a familiar story. Is this something you've heard of before? Michelle was spot on. Um, You know, change is hard and fixing the foundations is not easy. It's not sexy either, but needs to be done. And the payback is massive. So having those strong foundations in place allows you, HR, CHROs, to play in a more strategic spaces And when we do it well, we have a clear win strategy and we develop competitive advantage against others. The sequence and speed is also critical with the current pace of change, a month or two that you don't move forward could cost the business significant dollars of losses or opportunities not achieved. You need to balance between strategizing and speed to execute we can be uh, in the over-analysis paralysis state. We need to action and we need to do it now. Yeah. Michelle, let's bring it back to you. You know, you talked about deploying this single cloud-based success factors platform. So, I mean, let's dig a little bit deeper into the benefits. I'd love to know, how do you actually measure the ROI here? Thanks, Manisha. Well, As I said, we really did, um, you know, do a multifaceted transformation where we were working on data, process, technology and operating model in parallel. And that, you know, kind of working on the whole ecosystem is really what delivered the uplift. So there's definitely upside on simplification. Our business case in particular was anchored on the savings in our cost to serve and rebalancing the work that was executed in HR. We certainly had a value case around the unlock of strategic capacity in HR as a result of the implementation of new processes, new systems. And I would also say that we were able to deliver a different level of insights, of people insights to the business with the new intelligence, I guess, that was deployed 
through having a single platform which has unlocked more strategic HR service, whether it's insights, talent sourcing, inclusion and diversity, culture. You've just got capacity as a function to do that work when your back office is working seamlessly and you've got the right technology and the right processes and the right operating design. So that's that's really the return on investment. And as I said, you know, in this period of time, we've repositioned from Q4 against the benchmarks to, to Q1 ineffectiveness and efficiency, which uh, is has been an incredible journey. But obviously, um, Q1 doesn't stand still and uh, we've got to keep moving. Yeah. And as a follow-up, actually, I mean, that all sounds hugely successful, but as a follow-up, what does this all actually mean for the end customer? Because you want to keep this investment at board level discussion, don't you? You want to make sure that it's, it's happening, that it's given importance. And so you do have to justify what it means for the business. Yeah, that's right, Manisha. I mean, I think the way that capital allocation works in BHP is uh, every business case competes on its own merits. So if we are looking for investment in HR technology, we need to be able to show return on investment in the same way that the maintenance function would need to do that or the projects function would need to do that if they're looking for capital investment. And so um, being able to demonstrate value is really important. And as I said, the largest value uplift, it obviously has impacted our cost to serve, but the largest value uplift for us, which has been an incredible achievement in our organization, is really the unlock of strategic capacity for HR. Great stuff. Um, With that in mind, Gaston, let's talk about these benefits or the ROI, but in other sectors and industries across the emerging growth markets. What have you seen? Yeah, look, I I was reflecting on what Michelle was just um, sharing with us, Manisha, right now. And I think when I look at, you know, the different different countries that are in the growth market region, you know, in Accenture growth market is Africa, Middle East, India, Asia Pacific, and Latin America. So it's it's a big portfolio, right? And, you know, defining return on investment will be aligned to, you know, what industry do they play? It's not the same, you know, doing a nature transformation, for example, in the case of Michelle in natural resources are doing it in a bank. Uh, The maturity of the HR function. So obviously there are organizations that have a clear definition of, you know, what the business partners, the COEs, the shared service centers, and actually had a large-scale share service centers to other organizations that have HR function with HR advisors uh, along the, the the business and, you know, very little centers of expertise and so forth. And then I think Michelle talked about the readiness for the business to adopt change. So I would say if you consolidate those three lenses, you will be able to actually define a better view of how much value you can actually deliver by implementing this kind of technologies. The range manager goes from 15 to 40%, right? And I think obviously if you are in an industry that you can extract significant value, the maturity of HR function is not right there and this is gonna do a significant uplift and the readiness of the change is actually people is embracing change you can get to 40% easily, right? But obviously in other cases, it's not the same. Now, I really would like to put a point across uh, because it is really important when you are doing a business case of a platform of this scale, 
And there are two kinds of savings that you can claim to the business case as Michelle is talking about. Number one is the hard savings. So those are the things that you can control in the HR function. That's your cost to serve. So how you optimize your, your function, where do you put the work, how much do you can out automate and so forth. So that's an important component and it's typically what it gets you through the door in a toll gate session in order to get some capital allocated to your project. The second part is the soft savings. I will call that the upside because essentially, you know, you could define that there is freeing up capacity of the people in the business because they are going to follow up less into work that they flow into HR. But the reality is that you cannot decrease that level of headcount in the business. So what it gives people though, is the right level of experience. They give you satisfaction that they're working in a company that they can get work done. And also they can focus on the things that matters. And that's the reason why they've been hired in their roles. So I think I would, I would like to differentiate the two. And then that's just the starting point because you do have a lot of other uh, soft savings, which is, you know, when you improve your, for example, time to fill, and you are able to attract a diverse talent into the workforce, all of those things, actually, when you combine all together, could be millions and millions of dollars. The reality is that you need to be able to uh, put them aside and explain in a different way because actually you could get into a trap into the model. So hopefully that, again, gives some clarity around, you know, how do you build business cases? But yeah, look, it's 15 to 40 percent and depends on where you play and how you play. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's so fascinating, actually, the way that you've described that. And, and I'm going to lean into the second side of that, you know, the soft side, because the thing about the hard facts is you can have numbers behind those hard facts when you make a business case. And, and Michelle, let, let's take it to you, because my next question was actually going to be about in terms of existing hierarchies and norms when it comes to the C-suite, how does this process of digital transformation impact there? Uh, you know, the, the need to work in new ways and, and whether or not the C-suite needs to look at the HR function differently, just to integrate then what Gaston was saying about the soft side of this. Increasingly, and we've seen this in the headlines, companies, certain companies that have done a bad job of managing their employees in a very public way um, have faced the consequences and it's affected share prices. It's affected, you know, their reputations. It's important. So how do you make these sorts of cases where you don't necessarily have numbers behind the data, if you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Manisha, I mean, in our case, we certainly had um, absolute support from the C-suite for um, the HR transformation vision that we put on the table. Um, I think directionally, and philosophically, everyone was aligned on what the upside of HR transformation would unlock in the enterprise. I think the more challenging part for us along the way was learning our way through what agile deployment of technology means, of changing the our ways of working. And particularly, I think for us as an organization, I would say the biggest learning was around accepting progress over perfection. And that was a hard journey, um, but one where we've learned to be more flexible, to be more agile, to iterate, 
and to pivot as required rather than what we would have previously done, which is, you know, over-engineer to a level of precision that's not required, bake long waterfall projects and take two years to deploy a project. It was more for me about what is, you know, how do you take the leadership along that journey with you than about the initial support? I think we certainly had top-down support and our bigger challenge was the, the ways of working and certainly um, the line leader challenge we spoke about. You know, I think we could have done a much better job of taking the customers along the journey with us. Um, that was much more of a challenge for us than the top leadership of the organisation. So just picking up on that, uh, in particular, that last point, if there was anything you would have done differently in hindsight, what would it be? Well, you know, if I think back, I think at the time we really thought we were doing a good job of the change management. We thought that we had the customers on the journey. In fact, we embedded some line leaders in my team to be the voice of the customer inside the function. We really thought that we were on top of customer-centered design. But my advice would be whatever change and communication you have planned, 10 or 20 exit to really kind of make sure that the enterprise is really aligned on what that transformation is going to mean. And I think we're in hindsight, what we underestimated, we weren't the only function going through transformation. And what we missed was the horizontal rain that was hitting the line because it wasn't only HR changing, it was supply changing and commercial changing and finance changing. And so there was just so much change coming at our line leaders that I think um, in hindsight, a much more integrated approach would have helped our line leaders to better navigate the changes that were coming that w- their way as a result of digital transformation across the enterprise. That's probably one thing. We just could have done that a lot better. That is such, a, you know, such an honest bit of feedback, actually, and so useful. And I think many will take solace from from that wisdom, actually, um, you know, and, and hopefully not, well, hopefully have more insight when they make those changes for themselves. Um, Gaston, I'm going to give you the final question. We started with you. I'm going to round out the conversation with you. So just in conclusion, what would you say are the key factors that CHROs, or should I say, uh, you know, employee experience managers, um, should, what should they be focusing on for this successful HR transformation? And, I, and I'm sure that some of the, the words that Michelle just shared would definitely resonate with you on this. Sure. I think obviously Michelle has covered quite a few. Um, but if I were to summarize some of my key learnings, I would say, number one, we need to have a clear North Star to align to the business. Number two is we need to get the buy-in of the business first in order to move forward. Number three, uh, we need to create a narrative for change for the function and include a clear business case. Number four is defining the sequences of the transformation to deliver value and manage the change, as I mentioned before. Number five is focus on the capabilities above and beyond the technology elements around the op model, the service delivery model, what's the employee experience would look like, what HR capabilities do we need? And finally, as I mentioned before, go as fast as you can. Don't hold back on speed. Every month that you wait, you are losing share of voice in a very constrained talent market. Wow. (laughs) That is very bold advice. And, uh, Great advice too, especially given all the stories that you've both shared uh, in this conversation. Thank you both so much uh, for your fascinating insights. 
I have to say, it's been exciting to learn about the human resources landscape with the both of you and also how we're seeing it in transformation. Some of the stories you shared, for example, Michelle, it made me think of someone who's worked for an organization for, say, 20 years, and then they get hit with a deluge of change. That can be tough. But when we know that there are people like yourselves driving the change, we can have some faith that it will be done in a compassionate way, in, in the right way. So, so thank you both. It's been really enjoyable. In the next episode, we're going to be exploring the next generation of customer service. Gosh, this is an issue very close to all of our hearts. How can companies transform traditional customer service models into high value, purpose-driven service? And how does this elevate a company's purpose and enhance business growth? Michelle Duplessis, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Gaston Carillon, thank you so much to you as well for all of those insights today. Thank you to you, Manisha and Michelle. It was a lot of fun, so I appreciate the invite. Excellent stuff. Now, if you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or the topics we've discussed today, you can contact us via Accenture.com. Till the next time. This podcast is produced by EI Studios, the custom content division of Economist Impact.